0: Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the President of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice, in which we learn about updates in laboratory testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, welcome back, Bill, to another week. We now have that it's Medical Laboratory Professionals Week, or Lab Week, as we usually call it. So happy Lab Week.
1: Happy Lab Week to you. It's important that we celebrate who we are in our profession and our staff, probably this year more more so than others. So yeah, happy Lab Week.
0: <laughs> it's always a fun time in the lab. I know uh, my lab is the parasitology lab, so we've taken a, a twist on that usual, like count how many gumballs or jelly beans in the jar, and we're doing, uh, guess how many worms are in the jar?
1: Oh, are they gummy worms? or I just, Anyways, I don't, maybe I don't They're want to know. They're
0: ascaris worms, so not the edible kind. It's a good time to reflect on how our community of laboratory professionals have really joined together for our COVID 19 pandemic. The pandemic's really brought forth extraordinary challenges, but it's really shown a light on the importance of laboratory professionals in healthcare.
1: Yeah. You know, and the other thing is, it really shows the importance of not just the labs, really, I mean, obviously for the diagnostic uh, acumen and giving the information to patients and providers so that they know. What they have and what to do about it, but also this the strong educational component of our profession. I remember when I told people I was going to do a pathology residency that they said, "Oh, that's the doctor's doctor." You know that we are seen as sort of the people that know and have information about not just the tests but kind of the diseases and mm-hmm. and the meaning behind them and that the opportunity to educate. So I think that's been really important to hear through the pandemic, and it's not just the pathologists and laboratory medicine professionals of PhDs and MDs, but it's also the allied health staff have a very strong Mm -hmm. educational component to what they do for other healthcare professionals. So it's important to remember that too, I guess, particularly as we do these podcasts.
0: Yeah, and it's great that we have this opportunity through this podcast because here we are sharing information about important topics. Uh, It all happens to be COVID-19 right now, but that I think is what people want to hear about. And you know, one thing that we've heard a lot about on the news lately is the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. You and I have talked a lot about vaccines and just, you know, encouraging people to consider getting vaccinated. There's lots of good news on the vaccine front, but What about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? As a hematopathologist, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about some of these abnormal blood clotting problems that have been identified.
1: Yes. So it's interesting, and it's important that we understand it and that we convey that understanding. As we've talked about in the previous podcast, a lot of misgivings uh, about the vaccines and different levels of comfort. And what we have seen now with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is what appears to be very rare but an association between the vaccine and the development of blood clots. And in this case, a very specific type of clot called a cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, meaning a blood clot in the veins that drain the brain. And your brain has a lot of blood flow. It's important because it can be very serious if potentially a stroke can occur. So that's why there's a lot of conversation around this. And that's why the CDC and FDA came out and in extreme caution, they said, even though it's about one in a million that consider pausing the use of the J&J as we understand this. So to be, what happened is that in, I believe it was eight uh, women, uh, all women between the age, I believe of like 20 and 48, somewhere in that age range, developed this blood clot in the veins in the brain, one of whom I think actually succumbed. And so what they found is they actually had low platelets and they got these clots. And so what it appears is happening is that there's this very unusual with, with low platelets and blood clots. And typically that's not a combination because platelets cause blood clots. So people get confused as to why would you have low platelets and blood clots? And it is something that we see.
0: Thank you. That's a really good just way to think about this. Very rare, about one in a million. I think it's also worth mentioning that we're not seeing this with the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines. Yep. And as of this point, a quarter of all the eligible population in the United States have been fully vaccinated. So we're talking millions of doses, no problems with blood clots with those other two vaccines. So it looks like it's rare, but it sounds like the FDA really is just out of an abundance of caution, putting a pause on this. I heard Dr. Fauci say this morning on the news that we hopefully will know by the end of this week what they're going to do with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine.
1: Yep. And it's important to know. So this CVT is the easiest way to say it as opposed to what I find to be a tongue twister uh, as a cerebral venous sinus thrombosis or is that this is actually rare. It does happen spontaneously and it, it does tend to occur in the same demographic. Younger women tend to seem to get these. So the people ask me why the pause. And the pause really is to understand it, again, because it's rare, to really make sure that to kind of look further into this association, to understand the pathophysiology, which we'll talk about in, in, a, in the underlying mechanism, if you will, and also to make sure that providers are aware, because like a lot of things with blood clots, and I've had one myself, is that oftentimes the signs and symptoms are non-specific, so that these appear to probably occur about a week to 10 days, one to two weeks after vaccination, so doctors know what to look for. Because in this case, even though it can be serious and life-threatening, it can present with like just a bad headache or luring a vision of some other things. So in terms of why the different vaccines, um, this is the same complication for those who are interested that we've seen with the AstraZeneca that was reported in Europe. And of course we haven't used the AstraZeneca in the US. There are similarities between these vaccines that are being examined in terms of, they both use an adenovirus to introduce the SARS-CoV-2 nucleic acids that lead to an immune response as opposed to the RNA, mRNA vaccines, which use these nanoparticles. And it appears what's happening is that actually in, in rare instances, people are developing antibodies to their platelets and that's what activates the platelets and causes clotting, but also causes a platelet number to go down. Why that's really important and why the pause, number one, it helps us understand what's going on. And this needs to be proven out. And there is an ex- expert actually in hematopathology here at Mayo Clinic who's working on this. It turns out that it's, this is very similar to uh, what's called heparin-induced thrombocytopenia. So what we see are some patients in the hospital, we give them heparin, which is a, quote, blood thinner to prevent blood clots. Some rarely get actually an idiosyncratic response to that drug where the platelets go down and they actually develop blood clots. Just like we're talking about here with these vaccines, with AstraZeneca and J&J. It turns out if they're similar, the one that you wouldn't want to do is give that person heparin. Because what happens when someone goes to the hospital with a blood clot, the first drug you typically give is heparin. If they have a clot that has the same mechanism as this heparin-induced cymbocytopenia, the last thing you'd want to do is give them heparin. So a lot of the pause is just really understanding what's going on. And there might be things that come out, even though it's very rare, it might be that they, the recommendations are to use a different vaccine in younger women. We don't know yet, but it really is to really understand this balance between keeping people safe from rare events and making sure we get people fully vaccinated.
0: Yeah, I think that that all makes sense, and I like the way that you describe that because you know, you if you want to learn more, you can you know learn all about platelet factor four and antiplatelet factor four, and it, and it gets a bit complicated. But I think just that's a good way to just think about it. And physicians who are potentially treating these patients would need to know that, and they would need to know the steps they would take. So just taking that pause, understanding it fully. I've heard that perhaps there may be some recommendations. We'll find out later this week that. Younger women should just get a different vaccine, as you mentioned, or given that it's so rare, there may not be any recommendations for alternative actions. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see.
1: Yep. And I think it's going to be really important, though, going back to our previous podcast, is that we're just very transparent as a medical community as to what's happening and why, so people can really make informed choices. The concern is, is that this would undermine people's confidence in the vaccines in general. I have heard that that has been a challenge in Europe. With the astrazeneca pause so we just had to make sure as a medical community going back to the whole educational mission that we really educate help people understand what's going on it's not about the vaccines in general it's just about a a rare reaction that we're seeing with a subset of the vaccines and a subset of individuals and to be completely honest unfortunately this is something we see with a lot of different drugs and therapies is that there are individual responses that's why a big area of, of medicine that's emerging is this whole concept of pharmacogenomics, meaning doing genetic testing of all the different sorts of things in our bodies that metabolize drugs, because we see this with other drugs that some people metabolize drugs differently, and therefore they some people, that's probably what sets people up for bad drug reactions. So again, it's just part of the practice of medicine that we have to manage.
0: Sure, it makes sense. Well, we'll look forward to hearing more on this, but meanwhile, we have two excellent vaccines, millions of doses given, no serious side effects for the most part. And I think it also just goes to show that we have a really good monitoring system for vaccine adverse effects. If you think of this with all the millions of doses given in the US and you have just a handful of women but yet these reports are immediately identified, taken seriously, actions are taken based on that. So our system works and that's another good takeaway point.
1: Yeah, I think that's something that's easy to lose. I'm glad you brought that up. It's just number one, the public safety in mind with all of these. And that's not just at the macroscopic level, meaning stopping the spread of COVID, but looking for individual reactions to these vaccines that we need to really be mindful of. And that's why, and to be careful on social media because you will read all sorts of things that just are not accurate, to be completely honest, because we are watching very closely as a medical community. The other piece of this, and I'm not sure if it's out yet, but I heard from authors at Mayo Clinic that they're going to be publishing what would be happening right now if we had not had our staff vaccinated to the level that they were. I've seen the graphs and essentially we would be at a peak now that would make the peaks earlier this year look small by comparison. So it's also we do need to keep in mind the overall benefit of the number of people that we're helping with these vaccines and we really need to be transparent with all that information. Mm
0: Yeah. Vaccination is a critical tool to help stop our pandemic. So for people who are listening, who might be uh, going to get their vaccine, do you have any advice for them, what they should do to prepare?
1: Well, again, I think right now a lot of people start ask me questions on Twitter about Should I get the J&J vaccine right now? In Minnesota, for instance, most of the states have followed the federal guidance and have paused using the J&J vaccine. I guess you can be, if you have concerns, you should ask and make sure you know the vaccine that you're getting, number one. And number two is just be confident that they really are safe. And also, but you might feel lousy after you get vaccinated. So just to make sure you're well hydrated and ready to rest and you you can take some Advil or something afterwards. Still get vaccinated, there's lots of good information out there, but I think the most important thing is go to trusted sources of information like MayoClinic.org and others about the
0: vaccines. Great advice. Well, we'll end and and just kind of reflect again that this is lab week, and uh, thanks to all of our laboratory professionals for everything that they do. And Bill, anything to add? A no, this they, really
1: important. It's been a long year. As we're seeing, COVID is not going to go away overnight and uh, there's going to be more ebbs and flows. So. It's important that we celebrate each other, that we recognize very important contributions that the laboratory medicine professionals have made during the pandemic and before and after. Just take this last one. Look how quickly. I mean, with that report came out early last week and before the end of the week, we we're already talking about what's the mechanism, what's the right testing, how do we think about this? I mean, so just make sure to celebrate this week, have fun with it, get some joy out of the workplace. And Hempath, and, and I think they're doing an Avengers theme my area. It's a well-deserved recognition and so enjoy it.
0: Thanks, Val. Always great to talk with you.
1: Always great. So look forward to the next one.
0: Sounds good. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.